XY Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting experts straight talk in your ear. These podcasts deliver great interviews with industry leaders and Zweig Group's three decades of invaluable research, leadership, management, marketing, client, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts let you develop personally and professionally, wherever you are. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm here today with none other than Murray Bernard. Murray is an architect and a writer uh, for Architect Magazine, as, as, as well as other publications, and we're so excited to have her on the show today. Um, I ran across Murray when I was reading an article, which we're actually going to go in depth and talk about a little bit on this show in, in a few minutes, but uh, I ran across that article, and I was kind of blown away by the premise and by some of the dynamics of what Murray discussed, and I just said, you know what, I've got to get her on the show I have to have, find some time to interview her and kind of talk with her about, you know, wh- what she's seeing in the industry as a whole. And so, you know, Murray, it's it's so great uh, to have you on today. I just want to read, just share a little bit with the audience about your background. Um, Murray is a um, AIA registered lead architect. She's a writer. She's an editor. She's a strategist based in Los Angeles, California. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, her work has appeared in many design publications, including Architectural Lighting, Architectural Record, and Hospitality Design. Most recently, she was the managing editor of Contract Magazine, and she's also served as editor of Associate News and Forward newsletters of the AIA National Associates Committee, and as contributing editor to eOculus, the newsletter of the AIA New York chapter. Murray earned a Bachelor's of Architecture from the University of Arkansas, go Razorbacks, and has practiced with Polk Stanley Roland Curzon Porter Architects, which we now know as Polk Stanley Wilcox in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Tech Architects in New York, and now she is based in L.A. uh, as a full-time writer and as a part-time practicing uh, architect for family and friends. So don't call her if you need work done because she probably can't help you. Is that right? (laughs) That's about right. Thanks for the great introduction, Randy. I appreciate that. 
Oh yeah, no problem, no problem. So we're we're so glad to have you on. And, and again, just for for my listening audience's edification, we we are at Zwei Group. We're based here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So there were so many connections when I read this original article that you wrote on um, on uh, the interloper. We work upends the uh, conventional uh, architecture firm. I saw that you were a graduate of the University of Arkansas. And, uh, that you had, you had worked in the state of Arkansas and now you were doing some amazing things in California. And I said, you know what? I've got to figure out a way to have her on the podcast to share with our listening audience some of, of what she's experiencing currently, uh, in the industry and, and some of the interesting and, and, um, insightful topics that she is currently talking about. So again, we're just glad to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be a part of it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, what, what, you know, what's interesting, what's, what, what is a, the highest interest to you right now? I mean, what is really kind of getting, you know, your, your juices flowing when it comes to, to writing about the design industry and specifically, um, things from an architectural perspective? I think, as you mentioned, the series of articles I recently wrote for Architect Magazine, those were all exploring, um, people who studied architecture but are following a non-traditional career path. And obviously there's many ways to do that. Um, in my case, I, I write about it instead of practice mostly. But for other people, they're still you know, part of firms and they're doing something different rather than following sort of you know, the traditional working your way up from intern to partner. Um, they've started their own sort of unique um uh, groups within a firm that are exploring new ideas. So I think that's um, something that's inspiring and interesting. And just, you know, thinking of other ways that, you know, we can use a background in architecture um, to even work in other industries that, you know, that aren't traditional architecture firms, because the reality is it prepares you to um, think um, and think as a designer to, to solve problems. And I think that's a really valuable skill to have in many industries. Yeah. And, and I, I it's interesting <laughs> that you say that because I remember, you know, what things were like in the nineties when architects were coming out of school and, you know, the whole idea was that, well, you're just going to apprentice under somebody for several years before you actually ever get to really go out and do anything. And, and that, that whole uh, model has shifted quite a bit. Wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And just the, you know, the way IDP is changing and you can start, you know, working towards getting your license a lot sooner. Um, and, you know, even while you're in school or when you're first working, that, you know, helps people expedite that process. And then, of course, plenty of other people choose not to get licensed. It's just not part of their their plan. So I think there's, you know, there's flexibility as far as what your goals are. And, um, you know, you don't have to follow such a a linear path. I think these days people have to be willing to, to pivot. Pivot is sort of the new term. I, I hear people using a lot when new opportunities come up. Yeah. So. You know what? And, and, and so since, since you, you, you mentioned that, I, I want to just dive a little deeper into this whole idea of license versus non-license because it came <laughs> up in a conversation that I had with a client just the other day. And, you know, two leaders of a very successful corporation, uh, um, architectural firm that's based right right in your backyard there in LA you know mm -hmm. that was the first thing they, they said out of their mouths was listen this person they were looking for a uh, they were they were looking for a senior level individual for a, a, a 
certain background and skill set, which is irrelevant. The bottom line was the first thing they said out of their mouths was this person doesn't have to be licensed. Um, oh, you know, and, 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 yeah. and, uh, you know, they want it, they want a good architect, but they, he, he doesn't, mm -hmm. they, they, he or she does not have to be licensed, which, mm -hmm. you know, often, especially in the area of engineering, we don't always find that to be the case. A lot of times people want right. that licensed individual, but can you talk a little bit about just the prevailing wisdom that you think exists now in, in architectural firms that it, it, there's not so much onus put on having a license versus not having one and the ability to still perform at a high level? Yeah, I mean, it's mixed. I think it really depends on the firm's culture. I think you may see in a smaller firm, maybe they're not not so concerned that everybody has a license because, you know, one person generally stamps the drawings and, um, you know, it's really just not necessary. And, you know, in some cases... Um, Firms will pay towards um, their employees getting their license or offer some sort of incentive. So maybe in some ways they're thinking it's a way to save money. Um, but other firms look at it completely differently. They see it as, you know, being able to, you know, say that we have, you know, such and such number of licensed architects on staff and that that actually appeals to clients, um, whether they're stamping drawings or not. Um, and certain firms I know larger tend to be larger firms, mid to larger size firms will not promote people to associate level if they are not licensed. So it really just varies vastly on the firm's culture and the type of work that they do. I think, um, I think for most people it has to, you have to decide if it's a personal goal. Um, it's a long and arduous process. So unless you're personally committed to doing it, um, you know, it's, you really have to be in it for yourself in the end. Yeah. Is that the advice that you would normally share with a young uh, uh, architect that you might run into that's just about to graduate from school? It's hard. I mean, I would say, I would say it's worthwhile to go through the process. I mean, you can always change your mind, at least start doing IDP and start recording those hours and, um, try to get experience. I mean, because the point of that anyway is to try to get experience in as many areas as possible that will be relevant to practicing. So you might as well do that um, and become, you know, qualified to take the exam. If you decide not to, you know, you have the opportunity. You don't get into a case where you a few years later wish you had and then try yeah. to back, back document all of that work, which is a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it probably, if you think about it, it, it it's not like that knowledge is, is not going to serve you well. So whether you right. decide to get the, the, to get the, um, credential or not, you'll still uh -huh. have the knowledge that will always be with you. It's true. And you can always go back. I mean, if you, you know, if you get your license and then you end up not practicing traditionally, um, it's still something that lets people know that you were committed enough to go that far. Um, and, Maybe someday, you know, who knows, maybe someday you want to go back and practice again, you know, on some form or another. Maybe it's not starting at a, a giant firm, but maybe you want to start your own smaller practice someday on the side or you never know. I yeah. mean, it's good to have it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, as I look at, again, a lot of your articles and, and, and the interactions that you um, experience in the industry, what what are... 
you know, what what are some of the the tea leaves that you're looking at right now with regard to the design industry and architectural firms that you think are are kind of rapidly changing where you're saying, you know, this wasn't like it that when I graduated from college and and um Yeah, I've been speaking with a lot of students lately and I think it's just interesting to to see how education has changed and mostly technology is um at play here and of course and what the thing that's really surprised me I'm finding like a lot of students don't come out of school like I shouldn't say knowing how to sketch but they aren't comfortable with sketching and and drawing by hand in the way that like my generation and previous generations were taught to be and um, that scares me a little bit just to think of like you know sitting down and um starting in a computer it's so precise like how do you how do you you know because in my mind you always start with something much more fluid and then then move to those parameters later yeah so that and i'm you know i'm seeing um you know people who have been in practice for a while feeling a little bit frustrated with with that sort of um, difference in generations. And, and I'm sure that happens with, with every generation a little right, bit. Right. And, um, you know, there's, there's sort of that disconnect between like technology and, and then how to approach the design process. Yeah. Yeah. And, some... <clears throat> sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I was just saying, I think one thing too, like in school, everybody feels like they have, there have to be a designer. Like we all go to school thinking we're going to be this like, you know, not famous architect, but a designer. And I think it's a little bit of a, you know, awakening when you get into practice and realize that most of the people at a firm aren't doing that. And there's a lot of other roles. So, um, you know, it's kind of, I wonder more how, how school could prepare people for these options or how on the other side, how, um, people can architects or other, you know, people in firms can help mentor new, um, graduates about, all the possibilities of different roles within a firm. Yeah. And, and you bring up a good point because one of the biggest issues that we see uh, at Zwei Group um, is a challenge that most firms have of making sure that their people are adequately prepared on the project management side, um, right. that they understand business development and selling yeah. Um, you know, and marketing and branding. Um, there are so many areas that aren't covered in school. And I don't know. I don't know if you concur with what you experienced at the U of A when you graduated. But do you feel like you were prepared to step into a role where if somebody asked you to um, handle a simple proposal, that you could have done it? Um, um, no, and that's not that's not a diss on U of A. Um, we did have a professional practice class, and that we did learn some of the basics. Right. But you know, we have the textbook. I probably still have it around here somewhere, but. Um, it's yeah, I think the thing is it doesn't I wish we had had business classes. I guess I wish I knew more about how to run a business and um I guess you obviously learn some public speaking as you present and crits, but I think public speaking is really valuable in just learning how to communicate effectively. Um and I'm not sure I'm hearing now that schools are reinforcing that a lot more, but um I don't really recall feeling prepared. Um, I didn't know anything about putting together proposals. I did probably didn't even know what that was when I graduated, but soon after I did get a job 
um, working as a marketing manager with a firm. So I learned pretty quickly, but um, it was helpful to, to see that side of the business and realize how work actually comes in. So I think, you know, it would benefit students to learn that earlier on in the process. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're actually seeing um, some of my colleagues here that teach um, classes and entrepreneurship and, and other programs actually at the Sam Walton School of Business are actually having more design, more um, engineers and architects take those classes pre-graduation to give them some additional uh, experience and understanding. Just so if nothing else, they understand the language. Um, you know, they understand how how business is won and what that actually looks like. So. Exactly. That's a good thing. So you talked a little bit, you wrote an article, The Capitalist, Thornton Tomasetti Bets on Innovation through uh, TTWIIN, which is is an acronym. What does that actually uh, stand for? Oh man, you get me on that one. Do, I have to do, it yeah, I, I just because uh, I, I was looking at it here and I'm like, oh man, that's a mouthful. But I think it's it has yeah. it has something to do with it's it's the acronym for Thornton Tomasetti, and then it's Weidlinger Associates, right? Yeah, and then yeah, somehow they put those letters together. <laughs> so they've created some type of yeah. innovation accelerator. Mm-hmm. It's like basically an incubator within an architecture firm. Like if you think of how like um, in the tech world, there's sort of like incubators for startups. Yeah, absolutely. That's essentially what they're doing, but within an architectural and engineering practice. So they're asking people to make proposals for like new, a lot of times they're apps, but you know, or whatever that could help designers um, or they can be a num- any number of things, but they're basically creating this incubator so that they can start these um, companies with within the shelter of this larger firm, but, you know, somehow it does benefit them and and relate back. So I think that's kind of a really innovative um, model that we're following, you know, looking to the tech industry for how, how to operate an architecture firm, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And it's interesting. So now you basically have traditional architects, that are working in this space with mm-hmm. ideas that they have that they have that they think they could bring to market essentially. Is that it? Exactly. Okay. And some of them have broken off from that and pursued um, whatever their startup was if it started to get traction. So interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that could totally upend the model of, of what a design firm looks like in terms of what they're yeah. able to offer. So very true. Uh, ha- have there been any specific um, best practices that have come out of this for design firms with regard to this idea of maybe expanding into this this area of startups? Well, I think a lot of it's retention. I'm just attracting good employees and retention because it, it gives them an added benefit that you wouldn't find at a lot of other places. Um, they're they're showing they're actually investing in in the brain power of their employees, which says a lot these days. So it's, it's funny you say that because one of historically, one of the, the feed pieces of feedback that we get from candidates and other individuals that are coming out of, you know, really staunchly, uh, historically, um, very strong design firms on the architectural side is that, you know, there's never any, um, opportunity for real innovation. Yeah. And that can be a challenge. It's not that they don't design great things, but that right. the, 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 the ability to innovate is almost non-existent. True. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine that. So that is one answer 
to that problem. But um, there's plenty of other ways as well. Um, you know, there's, as we were mentioning, um, WeWork, which is, you know, you can work for something that's not even an architecture firm, but is essentially doing what an architecture firm does. So that's another big challenge to the industry. Yeah. And attracting a lot of great talent. Um, you know, and you can argue, well, they are still actually doing what architects are doing, but they're doing it at such a like faster, broader scale. Um, which is kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Well, and we work, we work itself is mind blowing in terms of uh, <laughs> how quickly they have uh, um, hit the market and, and how quickly they've grown um, to yeah. the tune of billions. I mean, they could buy and sell most design firms when you look at their, their cap, you know, um, uh, uh, the, the amount of uh, money that they have uh, brought to the marketplace. But I'd be curious to see just, First of all, what led you to that specific um, story, and 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 can you talk a little bit about the background of that? Did you just kind of happenly happen to fall into that that whole idea, or did somebody bring it to your attention, or how did that work? Yeah, well, my editor at Architect um, Wanda Lau is is very very smart, very good editor, and she I'm not sure if she came up with the story idea. I would imagine so, but she, um, they were highlighting. Um, just several, I forget how many there were in all, but around eight um, people who are sort of pushing pushing an envelope, so to speak, as far as what architectural practice can be. Mm-hmm. And so I got about, I wrote about half of the profiles um, and another writer wrote another, the other four. So it was just a really interesting way to look across the board at how, you know, how you can use this background to to do other things that, you know, whether they're with embedded within a firm or in a completely more on the tech side, a lot of them I noticed were really more on the tech side at this point, but um, it's kind of an eye opening thing because, you know, you just, a lot of people, the, the term alternative career path has been around for a while, but what does that really mean? So it's kind of interesting to see some actual examples that, um, are very relevant today based on technology and just, you know, where the job market is headed in general. Yeah. So now is, did, is, is we work, we work is currently hiring, uh, or, or, or they have employed architects now. They do. Yeah. They do, they do. quite a few. So, okay. And in, mm-hmm. in multiple locations. Um, I believe so. I know, um, I know several of them are located in New York. I'm not sure offhand if they have them in other locations, but okay. that's the case. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we haven't we haven't seen the end of this, and and now that there are other firms that are kind of copying what we what we work is doing, is that correct? It seems like there are. Yeah, I can see that really being. Um, you know, because a lot of there's so many as more people become freelancers, and and just you know, there's less of a need for people to come and be in an office, um, there is a need to provide flexible workspace and they don't just do workspace. They, they're, they're venturing into education and living spaces. I mean, they could, could really infiltrate every facet of your life and every space that you need, which is kind of a crazy thing to think. But, um, at the bottom line being, I think that we all need flexibility. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. That's what it's getting at. 
So, so with this knowledge and, and, and certainly with the, the, the groundbreaking and cutting edge information that you you have access to, what, what do you say to the, not to the mom and pop architectural design firm, but, you know, to the, to the smaller architectural design firm that's trying to, to, to keep its footing in an mm-hmm. ever changing marketplace? What would you say to them based on the information that you're learning about where the industry is headed? I mean, I think there's still a place for both. I don't, I mean, there's always going to be a need for firms that do, um, you know, projects that are very much rooted to their, their locale. I mean, I don't think that's something that you can just sort of make and distribute everywhere. So there's, there's always going to be a need for good architects who, you know, do residential work or civic work or, you know, retail or what, whatever different typology that, that, that that's in its place. That's of its place. So um, I think you know they've they they shouldn't be concerned that they're going to be put out of business. I don't I don't think entirely, but I, I think it's important to just stay up to date on these changes and make you know hire bring in um, you know new people that that are willing to sort of help them think outside of the box a little bit um, and just you know, to evolve, but, but there's, there's still going to be a need for, you know, smaller firms that, um, that are very rooted in the place that they're from. Okay. From okay. okay. Well, fair enough. So, um, what, what are you working on next? I mean, what, what is, what's, what's coming down the pike for you in, in terms of things that are really interesting you, um, of interest to you in the, in the design industry and things that we may see um, uh, tagged with your name and future articles. <laughs> if you want to give, give, give our listening audience a preview of, of that, that would be awesome. Um, well, as I mentioned what, what, to you earlier, I'm writing a series for architect magazine on code related issues, which at first sounds kind of boring, but it's actually not. So we're, we're tying it to, um, you know, things that are happening in the world that maybe the codes haven't quite caught up with yet. For example, my first one was on um, micro unit housing, and that's for multifamily housing. We're not talking about tiny houses, but multi large multifamily developments in cities. And looking at that, is that a way to solve affordable housing crisis or, you know, you know, kind of looking at it a bigger context, but also looking at what qualifies as a micro unit. And you'd be surprised to or not maybe um but codes vary so much across you know every state and municipality like even here in LA you know the city the county LA county is going to have different requirements than Santa Monica um and so you know the same happens everywhere so like what's micro unit New York and is different in Seattle is different in Texas I mean it's just it's a big um nobody's really quite defined it and nobody's really quite decided if this is a viable typology or not. So that's kind of interesting to explore, you know, what the codes say, but also what they don't say yet. So um, there'll be more articles um, covering topics like that. And um, personally for me, I've been working a lot with um, designers on more like branding, branding related um, projects and that can be anything just from helping them to 
refresh the copy on their website to um, writing project descriptions or, you know, just sort of going, you know, looking really co cohesively at, at how they're presenting themselves um, to potential clients and just other architects and the public and whatever audience that may be through social media or other means. So, um, you know, that's really something we can't, none of us can escape these days. I feel like you have to have a pretty polished online presence and, um, you know, we don't always have time. I mean, even my own website right now needs so much help. So I, <laughs> I am advising people to do this, but it's like the reality is you don't, you don't have time usually. So yeah. that's where I come in. Um, I have the background in architecture. I speak the language and um, I'm helping people to get that out there um, without, you know, them having to like spend hours writing it themselves. And let's face it. Writing is hard. I mean, I, I do it for a living and I, I still say it's, it's, it's really a challenge. So yeah, um, it is not easy. That's yeah. for sure. So, well, yeah, we'll have to, we, we have to, I may have to see if I can twist your arm to consider writing an article or two for the Zweig letter. We'll have to figure so. something yeah. out. So I don't know if we can afford you, but we'll, 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 we'll make it work. We'll definitely yeah. make it work. But, um, you, you, you brought up something and I just, just wanted to kind of go back to it when you talked about micro unit housing, cause I'd love to get your thoughts on this as from an architectural standpoint. But what do you think about the tiny home movement? Cause I'm, I'm really interested in that. And I think yeah. sometimes less is more. And uh, I'm just curious to see what your thoughts are about that. I mean, in some way, it's definitely become this like trendy thing. And it, it's, if there's like an HGTV show about it or something, you know, it's kind of like, eh. but I mean, I think the idea to like live, um, live, make a smaller impact on the earth is, is coming from a really good place. Maybe there's a way to do it without going to an extreme, yeah. but um you know, if it helps people who, especially people who need affordable housing, not just to be trendy and look at both this cute house, but like, is there a way to actually use that to solve, you know, problems of homelessness or just people who can't afford rent because that's a real problem in a lot of cities and other places. So I think, you know, there are some potential applications for that that could be good. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I just, uh, I just, you're right. Every time I look up, there is a new show on HGTV and some, some variation of, of, uh, of, uh, a tiny home. So it's kind of funny. Exactly. Or even just thinking like emergency, like disaster housing. It's like, I mean, there's so many ways to think, how can we design something compact that, you know, like helps people in a, in a time of need and isn't just, you know, acute. TV shows. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Well, um, man, you just, you shared so much today. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to save something for later because I'm sure okay. people want to hear some more from you, but I, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time, um, to, to speak with us today. I mean, we, you, you're, you're a writer, you're an architect, you're a Razorback. What else are you? Or is there, is there anything else that we missed? Uh, lately, since I've been getting my business started, not so much, but hopefully maybe next time we talk, I'll have, um, 
some new hobbies. Okay. <laughs> so. All right. No, that's all good. That's all good. Well, I, I certainly appreciate you joining us today on this Y Glutter podcast. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you. And uh, we will certainly link to all the articles that we mentioned in our show notes so that people can get a, a look at, uh, at your writing about some of the ideas that you share, which I think are kind of, you know, not necessarily groundbreaking, but they're definitely make a difference. And, uh, and you certainly uh, figured out a way to illuminate that nicely. And, and, uh, and then what you're featured in our, on an architect magazine, I think people should follow you and, and, and it, for, for people that want to follow you, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Um, you can visit my website that needs help, which is um, murray.com, M-U-R-R-Y-E.com, or you can email me at um, murray at gmail.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram is the one I post most, and that's, um, I think it's at Murray. <laughs> I should know my own handle. I believe it is at Murray. And isn't your Twitter yes. the same thing? Twitter, yeah, I think it, Twitter may be Murray Bernard, but I'm on both of those, so you can find me through through any of those avenues. Yeah, and we'll we'll link we'll link to all the correct uh, right. correct addresses in our show notes, so that anybody that wants to to connect with Murray and let them know that they they heard her here first on the Zweig Letter podcast, that will be uh, certainly uh, appropriate. So. But, well, thanks, uh, Randy. It's truly been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It means a lot to to get to connect with them, especially with uh, you know a firm that's doing great things and happens to be based in my home state and where I went to college. So that's pretty cool. That's it. Now, so with all that said, are you rooting for the Razorbacks in March Madness or? I haven't been watching, but now you make me feel like I need to check in. <laughs> okay, well, they are a seven seed, and and while we don't like to date our podcast, this this podcast is being recorded prior to their first round game against some team. I I can't keep track of, but I think You're they're playing. Uh, no, they're playing Butler. I'm I'm just kidding. I was just, I was trying to be nice, but no, they're playing Butler. Okay. I think on Thursday or Friday of this okay. week that we're recording this. So hopefully by the time this is out. Uh, and that the general public is listening to it, that uh, they will have at least won their first round game. And, and uh, other than that, we'll see what happens. So Yeah, we'll yeah. see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But thank you so much again. And we really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you, Randy. I appreciate it. Yep. So folks, listen, I really want to thanks, uh, thank you again for listening to this episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. Uh, it was so awesome to have Murray on the show today. I um. I can't tell you that we are reaching out to uh, high quality individuals like Murray and others that have a lot of information to share to our listeners. And we certainly want to make sure that we're providing you with the utmost uh, relevant information. Uh, I also want to share with you uh, just a special gift. It's my way of saying thank you uh, for listening to this podcast, for sharing it with other people. I have a free copy of the Zweig Letter to give to you. It's not just a free copy. It is a digital subscription to the Zweig Letter. You'll be able to um, just go to zweiggroup.com and you can download. At that point, you can just put your email address in and you will get on a weekly basis every Monday morning a fresh copy of the Zweig Letter, which is 12 pages of un- uninterrupted content on the design industry. 
Uh, and th- in those 12 pages, you'll find everything from uh, articles on architecture, articles on engineering, uh, best practices, business development, marketing, branding, everything related to the design industry and how you can help your firm uh, to operate more efficiently, you'll find within the pages of the Zweig letter. And so we certainly encourage you uh, to get your free subscription today and maybe even sometime in the near future, once you've subscribed to the Zweig letter, you'll actually see an article written by our our featured guest, Murray Bernard, and that would be pretty exciting. So without further ado, I want to thank you again for listening to this episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I am Randy Wilburn, your host, and remember, we exist to make you more successful. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to this Zweig Letter Podcast episode. If you want more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about M&A, strategic planning, HR, and marketing your firm, subscribe now to the digital version of the Zweig Letter free of charge. Just visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe and leave your email address. Your free subscription will begin immediately.